Well, let me see if I can do a little poll of the audience here. How many of you guys are on Facebook? How many have a Facebook account? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah all right. Ah, <laughs> uh, they had to be somebody here. All right. Keep your hands up if you got... All right, good. Uh, you know, if nothing else, I'm going to keep your hands up so you don't fall asleep on me. But the 9 o'clock, they, they did well, okay? So I've got a Facebook account. You've got a Facebook account. If you don't have a Facebook account, hang in there. Okay, there'll be, day. There'll be a day that that happens. All right. How many of you have more than 400 Facebook friends? Keep your hands up. All right, I have, I counted last night, I checked. I have 497, so I haven't quite made the 500 mark yet. All right, all right, you put your hands down. All right, good. Some of you, I know a guy that has 1,000 Facebook friends. I don't know how that's possible, but Tom, how many do you have? Okay. <laughs> All right, for the really cool people here, I'm not one of them, by the way. Who has a Twitter account? Twitter, hold your hands up. Okay, all right, good. All right, you're the cool people. All right, keep your hands up. All right, keep your hands up. We know you're cool. We want to look at you. All right, how many of you have more than 200 uh, Twitter followers or tweeter followers or whatever it's called? All right, Matt, all right. How many of you have? 300 followers. No, all right. I have a friend that's got a Twitter account, Twitter account, I don't know what it's called, but he, his goal is to have a thousand followers, all right? That's incredible, all right? So let me ask you this question, though. Most of us here are aware that the Facebook friends or Twitter followers, those are our cyber friends. But just because they're cyber friends, do they mean, does that mean that they're real friends? They're our authentic friends? No. We know there are a difference. Uh, those people are our acquaintances, and some of them we haven't seen in a long time, and some of them we, you know, they post their stuff every day and sometimes every hour. And, and uh, you know, we get to know a little bit about their life, but we understand that is not real, authentic friendships. So today what I want to talk about is the marks of an authentic community. Authentic community comes out of authentic relationships. Most of us understand that. To be friends, it means more than just having a, a proximity of location. All right? We, you may live in a, an apartment building. You may live in a subdivision. You know, there's even farming communities. All right? So we all live in some kind of community or location. But the truth is, and if you're like this, I, I understand, we drive our car to the, to the garage, we push the garage door opener, we drive into the garage, we close the door, we go inside the house, we never see, and we do that, you know, in the morning, in the evening, and sometimes we never even see our neighbors, right? Not only do we not see them, if we do see them, we barely know their name or anything about them who they are and what's going on in their life. So real relationships go deeper than just a location. We all agree with that? Sure, we know that. As important as it is for individuals to have real relationships through sharing life experiences, because that's really what it comes down to. To build relationships, we have to share life experiences. Now here's the scary part. Not just the good life experiences, 
going through the deep waters with someone. That builds friendships. That drives a friendship to a whole new level that just a Facebook friend can't, can't achieve. And as important as it is for us as individuals, it's just as important for a church to experience authentic relationships and authentic community. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I see you're falling asleep on me, so we're going to take another audience poll. All right? I want you to think just about, just about the people here at Village Church. Just, just, all right, so all the other people in the world, they can, they push them to the back of your mind right now. Just think about the people here at Village Church of Bartlett. And I want you to think about the interactions that you have with the people at Village Church of Bartlett on a regular basis. And now, take away the Sunday morning experience, the Sunday morning worship time. So take that out of the equation, and I want you to think in your mind, how many people do I interact with on a regular basis from Village Church outside of the Sunday morning service, all right? So that may be an email, that may be a phone call, that might be, you know, a face-to-face encounter, that might be an opportunity to serve with somebody, but on a regular basis, how many of you would say that I have at least four interactions with other people on a monthly basis with people here at Village Church. Can you hold your hands up? Okay, keep them up. Double that. I have eight relationships, eight encounters with somebody from Village Church on a monthly basis. All right, double that. All right, so I've got 16 interactions. I meet with somebody, I connect with somebody 16 times outside of the weekend service. One, yes, that's a great question. It could be one person 16 times. It could be four people, you know, what is that? Four people, four times, all right? Six people, you know, 16 people, one, I don't know. You know, 16 people, one time. Do the math. If you, if you have that many interactions, you can put your hands down. If you have that many interactions, you're getting close to what authentic community looks like. And you think, wow, I I, I thought church was just about what happened here on Sunday morning. What just happened here in an hour or hour and a half on a weekend. And let me encourage you, if that's what you think community is about, that is only the surface. Authentic community goes so deep that we interact, we have communication, we have relationships with so many people that church is a lifestyle it's not a day did you hear that it's a lifestyle not a day that's the way it was in the early church and that's the way it should be for us today you know so often we think that the bible speaks about a time in history a time so far in the past that it was so different and people were so different that I just cannot, you know, cannot think like they think and they don't think the way I think. And you know what? That's not true. People are the same in the Bible days as they are today. And the greatest need of people is to be loved and to love one another. The greatest need that I think that people have is to be in a community of authentic 
relationships where we can be real with one another and we don't have to put on the phony face. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Who knows the mission statement of Village Church of Bartlett? John Tuck, where are you at? All right, John knows, right? He says it very often when he, when he does the announcements. Our mission is to, what? Make disciples that go, grow, and... Right. And so today, I want to talk about the last two pieces of that. I want to talk about what does it look like when a community of faith, when a, when a authentic community is go, a growing and overcoming. So that's what I want to talk about. Like you and like you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And as you do so, let me pray. Father, I pray that you'll open our eyes to see the truth from your word. Lord, we don't want to just see it as information. We don't want to just understand it as facts. Lord, I pray that you will apply it to our hearts, that, that it will become who we are as a people, individually and collectively as a church. I pray that you'll help me to share these words in, in such a way that it's clear the message that the Apostle Paul gave to those believers years ago and how our, those words are still just as true and just as important for us to hear and apply to our lives. Help us to grow as a community, to go, grow, and overcome. In Jesus' name, amen. If you grew up in church, you went through a wana, or maybe you've been in church for a long time, you possibly have memorized Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, right? Some of you, if you've done that, memorized Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm not going to be reading those verses, right? <laughs> but if I were, we would go to verse 3, and through uh, the next six verses, the Apostle Paul talks about how do spiritual gifts, how should they work inside a community of faith? How should they help establish and to encourage authentic community? And then we come to verse 9. And when we get to verse 9, it's going to sound like a machine gun. It's a Paul is going to rattle off a bunch of statements that just come one after another, after another, after another. Can I get the point? And they're going to sound pretty lofty. They're going to sound like, you got to be kidding me, Paul. You expect this from me? You expect this from my church? And it's going to sound that way. I'm going to read these verses, and it's kind of a long uh, portion of Scripture. It's, I normally will preach from one paragraph. This is actually two paragraphs in the original. But the reason I do that is because they're bookended. These two uh, paragraphs are bookended, and I want you to put on your observation eyes and to see, see if you can notice a couple of things about this. But I want you to hear, most importantly, the Apostle Paul as a pastor as a person who is a leader in his church, even though he's not been at the Church of Rome, but he's hoping to go there. And it's a heart of a pastor who says, I care about you. This is the marks, or these are the marks that I want you to attain. These are the marks I want you to shoot at. They're not a checklist to punch. 
But these are marks for us to shoot at. Follow along as I read these verses. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, or, or for by... For by so doing, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See what I'm talking about there? That machine gun, boom, 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 boom. He just keeps rattling these things off. Did you hear the heart of a pastor instructing his people of something better? Something he wanted better for them. Something that they could and he expected them to drive towards. Did you hear that? Did you notice all the negative and then positive statements that he used to make his point? Don't do this, but do this. Did you count, did you catch all the countercultural statements that he made? I mean, he said some things in here that, dude, do you think that's going to work in my life? Are you kidding me? You want me to do this? They cut against our culture, against our nature. Did you catch those? Now what you didn't see, and what you couldn't see in our English version, is the eight word plays that Paul used. I'm going to talk about some of those here in just a little bit. For the most part, it really doesn't matter what you caught in that first reading, because we're going to go back through this verse, through these verses, and I'm going to go a little slower, and I'm going to start drawing out some of the the nuggets of truth that Paul had here. So it really doesn't matter that you caught it the first time, but I hope you did. And I hope you caught some of the things as you kind of see where I'm going with this message. But for right now, before we get into this text, I want to be clear about one thing, and one thing very, very clear about. I don't want anyone to walk out of here and say, well, Tim just gave a message that was all about feel good, do good, motivational, um, uh, I can do this, and in my own strength, I can be a better person. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't hear anything else I say, not, not even close to where I'm going with this. Because here's the truth of it. When we start going through these verses, you're going to see that there is no way that you or I can do what these verses say in and of our own strength. It is impossible. We cannot do that 
apart from a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ and his working through us and in us. It is not about self and it's not about what I can do to make these things happen because it can't happen. And that brings me to my first point, which is authentic community is established through a right relationship with Jesus. That is the only way it's possible. That is the only way it can happen. And I could jump all over the New Testament, but for the sake of the day, I'm going to stay just in the book of Romans. And I want you to see how, how important this supernatural relationship with Jesus is to Paul. And how important it is because he built a foundation and was building a foundation in previous chapters as he got to chapter 12. And he said, I- I'm going li- to keep saying some things so that you know that when we get to chapter 12, you can't do it by yourself. Can't. Most of you who grew up in church have heard Romans 3.23. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You heard that. If you've never heard that before, let me say it again. We are all sinners. None of us here in this room are perfect. Nor will we be perfect in this life. We all are sinners. That's bad news. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's the good news. Bad news, we're sinners. Good news, Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. It doesn't stop there. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, bad news, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good news. Okay, still good news, but not good news enough. Those are just facts. In chapter 10, he drives it home. These are my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now we're putting information into our heart. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. See, it's not about, it's not enough just to know the facts. Paul wants you to know that you got to apply those facts to your life individually, personally. Many of you, I'm going to assume that many of you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. Some point in your life, you've come to Jesus and you've trusted him. If you've never trusted him as your Savior, let me explain what that means, okay? It means that you go to Jesus, just you and him, and say, I understand I'm a sinner. I am broken and I make mistakes and those mistakes, those sins separate me from you. And I understand you died on the cross for me. You died so that those sins could be paid for. Because somebody has to pay for those sins. And you did that. Jesus, please forgive me. Help me to live for you from this point forward. That's what it means to apply the facts to your life. If you've done that just now, or if you need to think about that and do that some future time, 
You can speak to anyone that was up here on this platform, any of the elders, any of the deacons, but you need to do what Romans 10 says. You need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And you can do that today. And if you've done that, then you have the ability to become part of an authentic community. Which brings me to the second point. Authentic community is developed through right attitudes. If you talk to any counselor, any parent, any teacher, they will tell you actions first, then, I'm sorry, attitudes, let me get it right, attitudes first, then actions. Attitudes, actions. Actions are always done from some attitude that we have or some value we hold internally. We act on what we believe. And Paul knew that. And so he says, before we get into the actions, let's get to the attitudes. These are the attitudes that a believer needs to have in order to have authentic community within a church. Now, here's the truth of it is. Each day, for those of us who are believers, we struggle with this thing called reality and life. Because reality, we've been forgiven. In reality, Jesus died for us. In reality, we know we should live for him. In life, in fact, we don't always do that though, do we? We mess up. Or am I only talking about myself? As we go through these verses, I, I want you to once again hear me. It's going to sound like a machine gun. Boom, 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 boom. These are not punch list things. These are not things that we can check off and say, yeah, I did that six months ago, and I did that one two years ago, and I did that. You can't do that, and you're going to see why. What Paul is going to give us in these verses is a, is a target, is the ideal church community. What, what should happen in our lives and through our lives as we love and serve one another in authentic community. And I want you to warn you, again, what he is going to say is going to sound pretty countercultural. It's going to sound like, you got to be kidding me. You really expect us to live this way, Paul? You really expect me to embrace what you're about to say? And I'm going to tell you, yeah. And here's what it comes down to. When you hear these things that he's going to say, will you trust God to do and to know what to do better than what you know to do or what you feel like doing? Because there's times, I'm going to tell you, as we get through this, I don't feel like doing these things. And if you're honest, you don't feel like doing them either. Let's look at verse, let's get into this text and get into verse 9. He says here, love, let love be genuine. The word there, love, in the Greek is, and some of you may have heard this before, it's the word agape. It's the God kind of love. It's the sacrificial kind of love. And he says, let the sacrificial kind of love, let it be genuine. And the word in the original is without hypocrisy. All right, how many of you heard, I'm not going to church all I see there are those 
church people are a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what? Guilty is charged. Yep. I know how I should love. I know how I should live. And I don't always measure up. And that makes me a hypocrite. Guilty is charged. But Paul says, okay, here's the key. Before we get into all these boom, 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 booms, let's start off with the, the heart and the core, the key of all this, and it's love. The sacrificial kind of love has to be genuine. It has to be real. It can't be with, with hypocrisy in our lives. Everything else he says from here on out is to develop this one thought. Listen to what he says as he continues. Abhor what is evil. What Paul is going to do and what you cannot see in your English Bible is there are 21 present participles in this text. Now, if you're an English person, you know what that means. If you're not an English person, it's like, I don't care what that means. At least that, that would be me, all right? But when it comes to this, this is what it means. He's going to use continuous action words to say that this is not a one-time, check it off, we're good, we can forget it. No, this is ongoing. This is what I expect to happen. This is a target that you are to shoot at and keep shooting at and keep moving towards. This is the, this is the goal that we are keep, to keep on going to. And so he says, hating what is evil. Keep on hating what is evil. And then he says, hold, holding or hold fast to what is good. Literally, clinging cleaving to what is good. And even as believers, even as those who know God's truth and know the difference between good and evil, do we not sometimes get those things backwards? We do. Sometimes we, we get our own things turned upside down and we cling to what is evil and we hate what is good. Right? Verse, 11, uh, verse 10 Love one another with brotherly affection. Here is the other, another word for love. And it's the word Philadelphia. All right? It's the brotherly affection. And he really plays on this. He says, with brotherly love, have brotherly love for one another. Family love. Community love. You know, for some people, the only love they receive on a regular basis is here at church. Life is tough. The world is hard. And it is not always easy to go through life being encouraged. And so for some people, the only love they get is when they come to church. And that's a good place to get it. All right? Then he says something for all us uh, overachievers or competitive ones. Outdo one another in showing love. You want to outdo one another? Here's, here's how you can be competitive. Watch your brother or sister show honor to somebody else. You outdo them. And you thought competition was bad. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Literally, never lacking zeal. Zeal is, and sometimes we use and think of zeal as a bad thing. But Paul is using, here's a good thing. The desire to serve and to please God, to bring him glory. Never lacking the desire to give God glory, to bring him glory, to serve him. But he says, be fervent in spirit. Now, this is an interesting word. 
because you're going to hear it and you're going to think, that sounds, that sounds awful. This word fervent is, is really the word boiling over or seething. Now that sounds like, that, that should go with something called anger, right? That should be something negative. But Paul turns that and he says, you're going to be, what I want is I want you to be boiling over, I want you to be seething in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, serve the Lord or serving the Lord. You know, oftentimes we go to work, we go through our life and we think, you know, my boss is not a nice person. You know, my job is not something I enjoy. My life is not always good. And Paul says, let, let me turn your attitude a 180. Who are you really serving? Are you really serving that person that writes your check? Are you really serving the Lord? And you know what he's saying. He's saying we really serve the Lord. First and foremost, he is our boss. He is our master. And the word Lord is master. It's the boss. He is our boss. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. And again, it's that ongoing rejoicing in hope. And he says, be patient in tribulation. Again, being patient, ongoing, being patient. And I, I want to be clear about this. Being patient is not going through life's hearts, heartaches, heartaches and hurts and saying, I'm miserable and God's not here and no one else is here and I'm just going to have to make it on my own. That is not being patient and that is not what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about is the patience of trusting God to know what you're going through. To know that he knows your hurts, your pains, your difficulties. He knows it. He knows it and he cares. And he wants you in a community that knows and cares and is there when you're going through those times. That's what patience is all about. And then he says, be constant in prayer. And again, this is one of those ongoing actions, being constant in prayer. And when authentic community really happens and we're sharing with one another of our life and what's going on and someone says, you know, this, you know, my life is melting down or this, I'm going through this struggle. We don't say, you know, hey, you know, brother, sister, I'll be praying for you and let it go at that. We put our arm around them and we say, you know what? Let's stop and pray right now. Let's, let's take this to God right now and let me pray right now and then I'm going to pray for you tomorrow and I'm going to pray for you the next day and then sometime this week I'm going to call you to see how you're doing because I'm going to be still, I'm going to still be in prayer for you because God knows more about what's going on than I do and what you do and he cares and he wants to be active in this. That's what he's talking about being constant in prayer. In these verses, Paul gave 10 attitudes that we're to have in order to to achieve authentic community. Attitudes grow into actions. And so verse, uh, my third point is, authentic community is grown through right actions with believers. Now, we're going to go through these, and some of you are going to say, Tim, you're really messed up here, because these verses apply to non-believers too. And uh, guilty as charged. Yes, for the outline's sake, we're going to apply them to Believers to non-believers. I'm sorry, believers to believers. Believers to believers. But some of them are going to go beyond believer to believer actions. 
Some of them are going to go to believer to non-believer. And I'll admit that. But let's see what these are. He's going to list nine actions. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Keep on contributing to the needs of the saints. When authentic community happens and we hear somebody who's going through a difficult time, we don't say, oh, God bless you. God will take care. We say, you know what? How can I help? How can I come alongside you and help you during this time? What, can, what do you need? Do you need some money or do you need some help? Do you need someone to help you do something around the house or at the place? And seeking to show hospitality. Here's, it's interesting the way this is constructed because he says, as for hospitality, pursue it. Keep on pursuing hospitality. When authentic community happens, people like to be around each other. And they like to entertain each other. And most of us like to eat. Right? Don't we? And what's wrong with saying, you know what? You know, you and I haven't talked in a few, few weeks. Let's go to coffee. You know, why don't, why, don't your, why don't your family come to our house? You know, or, you know, why don't we get together somehow? Hospitality is that way naturally in authentic community. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Remember I told you he used the word persecute or pursue before? The word persecute here is the same word. It's pursuing. Bless those who are pursuing you. Bless and do not curse. You're talking about countercultural. How many of you think that works? That doesn't sound like it works in my world most days. You want me to bless those who are pursuing me that are trying to do me harm? You want me to bless them? You want me not to curse them? Really? And that's what he says. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Literally, rejoice with the rejoicing ones. Now, this is the easy part in our life, right? Or is it? You know, when you hear about a brother or sister that's had a promotion, a, some, some big success that happens, do you ever find yourself saying, man, that didn't happen to me. Why did they get that good thing and not me? God, where are you at? Listen to the flip side of what he says. Weep with those who are weeping. That's really what he's saying. Weep with the weeping ones. And this is the hard part of the Christian life. Or is it? For those of us who know what it's like to be hurt, to be disappointed, to go through struggles, and to experience authentic community where someone comes around us and says, you know what, I love you, and we're going to get through this together. For us who have experienced that, that's the easy part, to come alongside someone else that we love and care for and say, you know what, I'm going to help you through this too because somebody's done that for me. And Jesus has done that for me. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. This is basically what authentic community looks like. But it goes much deeper than just harmony on the surface. Harmony on the surface just looks like we're all smiles. No, what he's talking about is going deeper at a heart level that we're in harmony with one another. And then he says, do not be haughty. And again, you can't see this in the English version, but he really says, don't be minding the high things. Don't be minding the high things of the high ones. And then he turns that again. He says, but associate with the lowly. And again, in the original, he's saying, don't 
what I want you to do is don't mind the high things or the high ones, but I want you to be minding the low things and the low ones. When authentic community happens, that's what it looks like. And then he uses that same word and he, and he says something kind of strange here. Never be conceited. Never be minding. Again, it's that word third time he uses that same word. In other words, don't be, don't be thinking of the high things or the high ones. Don't be thinking of the low things, the low ones. And don't be thinking of yourself. See what he's saying? Because that attitude of self-promotion is a killer for empathy. It's a killer for authentic community. All right, so we've covered the three marks so far. Let's go to the fourth one. And the fourth mark of authentic community is authentic community is extended through the right actions with non-believers. With non-believers. You know, I truly believe more people are brought to faith in Christ through genuine love and genuine concern and genuine care than all the theological arguments in the world. Because people don't really care what you know until they see that you care about them. Look what he says in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. You remember the Old Testament principle an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Remember that? Paul says you can throw that out because that no longer applies to the Christian. That no longer applies to authentic community. And by the way, that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, in the Old Testament, that was limiting retribution because, hey, he took my eye. God, I'm taking his head, right? I mean, I'm going to take more than what he took from me. And he says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. No, 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 no. Not at all. Then he says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Literally, it's providing what is beautiful to all men. And there is nothing more beautiful than when we honor and promote others ahead of ourselves. That's all about servanthood. Verse 18, if possible, Paul is a realist, okay? If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The reality is harmony, harmony doesn't always occur, especially believers with non-believers. Now, it should happen with believer to believer, all right? But Paul knows that it doesn't always happen outside the community of faith. And he says, I understand that, but as far as it is up to you as a believer, you are not to be the barrier between peace and war. You are to be the barrier between peace and war. You're not to be the one that causes the war. Then he calls them something pretty amazing. He, he's rattled off all these things, and then he says, Beloved, this is the term of deep affection, deep concern, and deep appreciation for one another. And he says, loved ones, people that I truly, deeply care for, never avenge yourself. Never avenge yourself. Basically, literally, he's saying, don't be avenging yourself. You are not the one to take up your cause and get even. That's what he's saying. 
Please don't think that what Paul's saying is that you need to be a doormat. Please don't think that what he is teaching here is that when you are wronged, you are to just fall on your face and cower, you know, like, like you know, some little, you know, baby. He's not saying that. The apostle Paul stood before judges and defended himself and defended the gospel. What he's talking about here is taking up your own cause and avenging yourself, getting even with those who do you wrong. That's what he's saying we can't do. Listen to what he says here. But leave it, literally, it's give place, give place to God. Give God his place, don't take his place. You know what the truth is? God, move out of the way here, I got this. I I know how to take care of this better than you, so you let me take charge. Isn't that what we usually do? And that's not what Paul says. He says, no, you give God the place and let the wrath of God take over. For it is written, here's your Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 32, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Yes, God's gonna get them. Don't you think he's gonna get your enemies far better than we can get them? And it might not happen here, but there is a day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning. Then in verse 20, on the contrary, or to the contrary, now he quotes Proverbs 25. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Are you kidding me? That's what you want me to do? Yeah. And by doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. You know, scholars are split on exactly what that last phrase means, right? But they all agree that somehow by you doing good to your enemies, you're doing what God wants you to do. Years ago, I did a study on a similar passage of this and it talked about these burning coals. And in the Old Testament, before there was electricity and lights and heat, the best thing you could give a neighbor was fire. If you gave them fire, they had heat, they had light, and they had ability to cook food. And what people would do is they would put a fire in a fire pot and they would have a pad on their head and they would put it on their head. And so you were literally giving them a great commodity by giving them burning coals on their head. And that's what he tells us to do. Abraham Lincoln, one of my favorite presidents, was regularly criticized for his attitude towards his opponents. And a colleague once said to Abraham Lincoln, why do you try to make your, why do you try to make friends of your enemies? You should be destroying them. To which Abraham Lincoln said, I am destroying my enemies, am I not, when I make them my friends? Verse 21, the other end of the bookend. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's Paul's instructions. Pretty amazing. Paul was not expecting some kind of utopia for church. He wasn't expecting some kind of Christian commune or communist organization. And that's what sometimes we've been accused of. What he was saying to his readers and what he's saying to us, these are the marks, these are the targets that we need to be shooting at on an ongoing, regular basis if we're going to we're going to reach authentic community. 
How are you doing at this personally? How are you doing personally? I would love to stand up here and say in my pride, got these man, I'm down on them. And I look in my family and they're, "Ah, ah, 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 ah." no, not quite. Not close at times. You know, there are times that I get disappointed, I get discouraged, and I need a community of believers. I need friendships that can come alongside and encourage me when I need encouragement. There are times that I get pretty sideways in my faith, in in my thinking, and I need someone that loves me and respects me enough to say, you know what, you're sideways, Tim. You you, got to get closer to where Jesus wants you to get. There's times that I need to see you living out your Christian life as an example to me. You know that? We need that from one another so that we can be encouraged. And the flip side is true. When I see you struggling, I need to lovingly come alongside you and encourage you and challenge you in your walk with the Lord. Let me ask you some hard questions here. When you come to church, do you put on your church clothes and your church face and you walk in the door and everything's perfect on the outside, but you're hurting on the inside? You're struggling with something in your life or some heartache and you never want anyone to know. Is church just one more compartment in your life? Or is your faith, is it permeating not only your life, but your attitudes and your actions? Has Jesus changed that in yourself? Has he changed that in you, in your heart? I hope he has. As we move towards a community that's authentic. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. These are hard words for each of us to hear. They're also encouraging words because you give us these words. You give us your words so that we know what we need to be shooting at. We know where we need to be headed. Lord, just like Michael said a few weeks ago, we're not perfect people here. We're broken and sometimes we're messed up. But Lord, we're doing our best to live for you, to know you, and to bring you glory through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Help us to become a better community, one another. In Jesus' name, amen.